0: So welcome to the B2B Video Lab, a podcast looking at video and all things B2B. My guest today is Pascal Bergmans, who is an excellent inspiration to anybody who wants to get in front of the camera, and she's going to tell us why. Pascal, can you let our audience know what it is that you do and why you could be such an inspiration to them?
1: What I do is I help people tell stories with impact and passion and confidence. That is what I do. And the reason I could be an inspiration is because I have done it in every single setting you could possibly think of. So I'm living proof that it's not too scary. You don't die when you get on there. Uh, the worst things have happened to me on stage. I can really speak from every single aspect. I know what it's like to be in the audience. I know what it's like to be on a small stage, a big stage or in a small intimate meeting room even
0: the listeners are probably thinking hang on isn't she just say stage so we're going to unpick that this is the b2b video lab so we're interested in uh, the context of video and how video is made at b2b and one of the key parts of making video is being able to talk confidently to an audience that you don't necessarily know or even out there before we get to that and how you're going to help people with some of the skills tips and tricks that you have i would like to get a bit deeper into your background because you have quite a unique rather than the b2b person we see now you have quite a unique background so tell us a little bit about how you got to being a presentational coach now where did you come from
1: born and raised in the netherlands in a small town and I've been on stage since I was four years old. So I started a musical theatre in the musical Peter Pan uh, at the age of four and then did all kinds of theatre classes. I did all kinds of shows, went through primary school, secondary school, and then moved to the big city, moved to Amsterdam, and uh, did my bachelor's there, did another couple of shows. And then moved to the UK. I moved to Guildford to do my Guildford School of Acting Master's degree, which is essentially a Master's in Arts. And it has everything to do with storytelling, creating musicals, but also how to play and act and dance and sing in musicals. So very multi-focused, multi-technique. Did all kinds of shows on the West End. And then four years ago, I uh, decided to leave. The musical theatre scene, or the arts scene, I should say, um, because I got paralysed on the left side of my body, which meant my career was over.
0: We're gonna stop. I'm gonna stop the bus there. So you're on the a successful trajectory on the West End stage, and so you had paralysis. You had. A, was it actually a stroke yes. you've had? you were unable to move and how long did it take you to get back from from that incredible life-changing event? What was the stages that you had to go through?
1: So it started with, you know, it starts with your face and that sort of tells you how quickly you can recover. So within 48 hours, my eye was open again and it wasn't droopy anymore. And within about a week, I could speak quite okay again, not as I you know, was used to doing, but I could speak all right. After that, just a lot of training. So I had to have a lot of help tying Mm -hmm. shoelaces or buttoning up a shirt and you have to practice your fine motor skills again so i did that that took about two years to get that back completely and even now i still don't see depth in my left eye i don't see anything in my left quadrant and i always say if you want to kill me come from the left because i do not see anything there
0: (laughs) handy for any assassins out there that (laughs) happened listen to the podcast so that's an incredible um, story so far even to have to rebuild your life uh, physically Um, emotionally and mentally was there times when you were going through that process where you had to think about um, what your sort of focus was and what you were going to do moving forward I guess at different stages were you just happy to be to be able to do the simple things
1: I think I was I was mainly worried about the fact that I was never going to go on stage again I was worried about the fact that I was not going to be an asset to society because I had done primary school I've done secondary school but I wasn't good at maths I wasn't good at any of the sciencey topics which meant I didn't do them I was like I'm gonna do musical theatre anyway I don't need to be able to do it but then something like this happens and suddenly my degree was useless at least that's what I thought I moved into the corporate world because I have had to make money right I ended up in finance I noticed that I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about this world how economics works but just how to live as an adult. I had no idea because I'd been so protected in that musical theatre world. And I think that was the thing that worried me the most because I was like, what am I going to do now? What if I can't sing? What if I can't dance? If I can't perform? If I can't tell the stories of other characters that I had the honour of playing, then what's the point? Like, I really had a very low point in my life where I was like, what's the point in being alive if I can't do anything? That was quite hard. But
0: at that point, you weren't, so you, you said you moved into the corporate sector and you're working in banking and finance, but you weren't doing songs and shows in banking and finance, were you? What, what was your role?
1: I started off as an admin assistant because I figured I'm good at organisation. You need to be quite disciplined if you're a musical theatre. So I figured I'll start with that and see if I can get lucky. And I did. <laughs> I remember a um, there was something like a presentation that had to be done. They were like, Pascal, do you mind doing the intros? And I was like, yeah, I could do this. And I did that in quite an engaging way, apparently, because after the meeting, they were like, can you bring the admin assistant to the next meeting? And obviously, to have an admin assistant in a room discussing a really big pension fund is not very common. Um, So they noticed pretty quickly that I was very good at talking to people. So they promoted me to become a business development support person. So I started calling up people. It was a lot of cold calls. It was a lot of Following up and speaking to people about something that I didn't know anything about. I didn't know anything about bonds or equities or funds or the current state of affairs of their portfolios, but I was really good at asking the right questions and I was really good at engaging them in a story. So even if I didn't have the answer, I could go, you know what? I don't know that right now. I'm going to check, but in the meantime, can I check this and this and this with you? That resulted in a lot of sales. So the company was very happy and it meant that I got promoted, promoted, promoted every single time because of the way I speak. Not because of my knowledge, not because of my technical skills necessarily, but of the way I can Communicate. And I've done that in every single corporate job since, and that led me to go, why don't I start people doing teaching to do that?
0: I mean, it's tangential the the, the trajectory you've taken so far. So you've gone from performance being in a creative role to, I mean, finance isn't necessarily known for its uh, creativity. You are obviously quite successful in this role and you decide to branch out so what was it that you've noticed now then you've moved away and you're into a freelance role give me an idea about how you help them work on their productions and presentations
1: normally it just starts with a introduction talk i can see how they speak how they move how they tell a story and often that is not as effective as it could be or as impactful Or I can often see that they're trying to be something that they're not. And this is something we see all the time in corporate, right? We've been told to move a certain way or to speak a certain way because that will make you look like a leader no people buy from people it's always been like that and it will always be like that so if you are not an authentic being if you don't know how to portray yourself in a way that makes you feel comfortable why should someone else feel comfortable around you and that is the first question i ask people and then you see them go oh (laughs) i don't actually know who i am and how i want to move how i want to be perceived and that's when we start talking
0: so you have a fantastic opportunity now because video is exploding and it's one of the reasons why this podcast even exists increasingly people are being asked to become representatives for their companies and this is a challenge so in b2b where people are experts at the disciplines that you know they they they're in so they're mechanical engineers they're not necessarily great presenters how do you take people who are really really good at their job immensely knowledgeable how do you then encourage them? What sort of steps? Take us through some of the baby steps when people are starting out. What do you do to warm them up and turn them into the you know, va-va-voom interviewees that everybody wants?
1: The first thing that we need to do is shape off any negativity, because there's a lot of negativity around going on camera or going and talking in front of a group of people. So I asked them, what scares you about it? Name your gremlins. What makes you go, oh, that worries me or that makes me a bit insecure? So we do that first, and then we say goodbye to that. And then we go and look into, how do you want to be received? Do you want to be received as an approachable expert? Do you want to be received as someone who's fun to be around but knows their stuff? And then we can work with that. We can build a character for them, right? Once we have that, we start looking at the fun part. Like, what can we do that makes you feel powerful and empowered and that makes you feel confident? So we do a bunch of just fun, simple exercises that shows people, oh, I am good at this. I don't need to tell myself just because I'm a brainy brain. I can't do the outward extroverted stuff. It's nothing like that, right? We've got these silos where we go, no, I'm introverted, which means I'm very good, very technical. I know a lot, but I can't quite get it out. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You can get it out. You've just not been told to do it in the right way.
0: That's really interesting. So you're saying that you could bring people around to presenting their knowledge, maybe using different techniques. How do you specifically get people to become more, so, shall we say, friendly for the camera? Because I, I saw an interesting post that you put out on LinkedIn about uh, facial expressions and the way that people can warm themselves up before they come into to interview. Try and explain that again if you can for the benefit of our audience.
1: Of course, the facial expressions is a, it's a huge thing at the moment. And I think why it works so well on video is because, like right now, all you can really see is this part of my body, really just the top, and maybe my hands. But even that feels a little bit unnatural because I have to move in this part of the frame. So I need to use my video real estate as best as I can. But if you're uncomfortable with that, I always say to people, the first thing you do is put your hands on your desk, because what it'll do, it'll ground you, or to put your shoulders down and it'll make you feel strong so then you don't have this flapping about if you don't know what to do with that and in terms of facial expressions i see so many people online saying i'm so excited with this face <laughs> and your face is, does it do anything and i'm like are you are you excited?
0: So, so for the people that are only listening to this on audio podcast pascal probably delivered one of the most sedate boring faces with that line there so
1: we've all seen someone say something like that and you're going are you? Are you? Okay. And we don't buy it. And it's important that when you're a camera, all you have is your face. You've got your voice and you can do a lot with that voice. And I call it your vocal fingerprint. You need to find that vocal identity, mm-hmm. but that face needs to work with that as well. And the two need to be married because the more I do with my face, the better my vocal identity, the better my vocal identity the better my facial expressions become. So it's this circle, right? I always say, warm up your face before you do anything, because a lot of people don't move their face. And especially, I hate to say it, but English people, when I moved here, everybody sort of only talks like this, and they don't move any part of their face, except for their lips, maybe slightly. And that's, that's why they sound like that often, Right. I'm like, if your forehead isn't talking, you're not doing it right. So make sure that you're using your whole face.
0: Sorry, I'm going to... That's a new one on me. Your forehead is talking. Some people will be just sat there listening to this podcast and go, what is that about? So come on. What does that
1: mean? When I work with my clients, I teach them to... I give them like a tongue twister or something. And I go, now over-exaggerate every word. But don't just do it with your mouth. Do it with your whole face. Make all the faces with it go crazy i
0: i, I want to do this on, give me one of the what's one of the tongue twisters then Let's do
1: one it. of the tongue twisters so i'd give you three lines of the tongue twister it's one fat hen a couple of ducks mm-hmm. three brown bears
0: one fat hen a couple of ducks and one browned bear is
1: that very good i mean <laughs> even then but even with you i see that mostly the bottom part of your face is moving Top oh my god. It's my moving. forehead not moving.
0: Oh my god. Her forehead
1: right. isn't moving. You're not doing it right
0: okay is that just because i'm bald maybe for the people that can't see my camera what other techniques do you have then because it sounds like you're helping people gain a personality inherently we have and when we're in our relaxed moments uh, you you can see people in the business context when they present they can get a bit stilted and wooden and then you see them afterwards in a private capacity say in a reception area and they're like really animated and so how do you help people sort of invest in their personality and find that
1: a lot of people as soon as that camera starts running they go oh now I need to be this other person. And it's like, no, don't. And so I would say maybe stick a picture of someone that you really love above your camera. Because it, you need to feel like you're talking to that person. Like right now I'm talking to you. You're a nice person to speak to. So I don't feel like I'm on a podcast or that I'm looking into a camera. But at the same time, I'm looking at this black dot. I'm not looking at you right now, but for the people looking at this and viewing this, it looks like I'm looking at them. So you have to be aware of what you're doing, but instead of putting on this, like, oh, now recording, I can't make mistakes and everything has to be right, just pretend like you're speaking to someone that you love. Because that helps. It always helps.
0: You talked about using screen space, and there's the there's both the audio space and the physical space for when people are recording video. There is very famous interviews over time, you know, Walter Cronkite a name but one, who have a very specific delivery. If, for instance, you're somebody that naturally has a slightly flatter delivery to their voice and also is, is likely to be less animated... Why does it not work for them to use? Because this hand gesture thing, which I'm not very good at, I sometimes talk with my hands. But when I'm sat at the desk, my elbows are firmly locked on the desk, partly because I'm always nervous no matter when I'm interviewing. Why is it unhelpful for people to try to invest themselves with a different personality?
1: If you're trying to be something you're not, your audience will never trust you. I've had this question a lot, for example, when you play different characters. I've played so many different characters over the years. And people go, oh, what part of yourself do you have to dig into? And if you play a bad guy, for example. And I always say, I'm not playing anything that I'm not. I'm just exaggerating whatever I'm playing. So if I'm playing a bad guy, they have a reason for being a bad guy. Don't forget a bad guy never thinks they're a bad guy. They're thinking what they're doing is very important. So you always have to find the reason why whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing is important. So if you are someone who locks up quite quickly and goes, oh, now I have to play this beatest thing, who are you when you're relaxed? Who are you when you're talking to your best friend? Dig into that person and exaggerate it Because it'll come across natural on camera.
0: Now, I'm going to do a swapsies with you because um, I've seen on some of your podcasts you talk about the way that people start and they sort of lead in. And this is a real thing. When I'm doing interviews on camera with people... I often get people, I have this exercise where I say to someone, I want you to think about your favorite football team or a sporting episode that they're involved with. And I get them to think about that or a family member, because it gives them like a smiley face before they start filming. It's, what's your method for getting that big smile out of someone when they start their interviews?
1: I always ask them, who do you love? And they just start smiling and they go, oh, it's this person. I'm like, cool, now you're speaking to them. I don't care who is talking to you. I don't care what you're talking about. You are telling them how much you love them with the words you're using. In, your, in the script that you made for yourself. And that is always something that makes people, it makes their voice softer, makes their facial expressions a lot warmer. It makes their whole body relax because all you can think about is that person.
0: How much do you think, how much time do you think should be spent for people when they're presenting videos and doing presentations per se on the actual rehearsal of what they're trying to say and how they're getting across? The reason I ask that is that I've seen some very accomplished presenters who are very adept at picking up when there's audience movement or when there's people who are like respond or when they fluff their lines. But the problem with presenting to video or giving audio interviews is that you have no concept necessarily of what your audience are doing. Do you think it's a good idea for people to have rehearsed their responses and rehearsed their speeches and presentations and videos all the way through? Well is fresh best?
1: I personally think fresh is best, because that's the most honest reaction you're going to get from anybody. But what you can do is think about, you can have a thought about it. Like, for this podcast, you send me some questions, and I just went, do I know the answers to these questions? And I should hope so, because they are questions that my clients ask me all the time. But I just go, cool, it's something like that. Or I, I like to work from a thought or image building perspective. So I go, well, what's the image I want to build? What is the feeling I want the audience to get. That's what I focus on. That's not necessarily the words that I'm gonna use or the facts I'm gonna share, or even the exercises I'm gonna share. There are so many exercises for tackling one problem, and I'm just gonna see what I feel like in that moment what I feel like sharing and what feels like the most normal and automatic thing to do. So I don't think you need to prepare your answers at all. I think you need to think about what's my starting point, what's my ending point, and how do I want that trajectory to look, and what do I want that to feel like? When
0: I'm on an interview and I've got somebody who's maybe a little bit nervous and they're fluffing their lines, um, I do a little bit of of psychological role reversal. And I know that people have information they want to get out. So I use this technique where I say, oh, do you know what? I'm really sorry, there's a bit of a problem with the mic. That was a really good answer. Can I just get you to repeat it again and focus on this? Because I know that works. And it makes them think, oh, the cameraman's not quite... Okay, well, I'll have to do it again, and they can get more and more relaxed. But when you're coaching somebody, you're coaching somebody for delivery, and you won't be there. So how do you sort of encourage them to work on those weak areas, and how do you, how do you make them better?
1: The whole idea is that we tackle those weak areas in the room before they have to go on stage or on, on camera, right? Yeah. So what I obviously do, I pick up a lot from how people speak. So I go, hey, I see this happening. And because of my experience in doing this work over 20 years, <laughs> I can go, does it make you feel like that? And nine times out of 10 is, oh my God, yes. That is exactly how I feel. And what I asked them to do, what I said in the beginning as well, I asked them to name their gremlins because if they start, and I always say, start with three, Start with three things that you're worried about. Once they start going, they don't stop. (laughs) So they start talking, oh, this scares me and that scares me and that goes wrong a lot and this and this and this. And then we have a whole list of things of which they know goes wrong. Then I put my expertise over that and I go, well, that is because that isn't going wrong so that it gets bucketed together or this happens because... The way you speak is working against you or your voice is hurting because you have a clenched jaw, for example. I have had a lot of people with sore throat issues. We use their experience with my expertise and that's how we identify where they can improve and then we bucket that into categories and then we just move from there.
0: Is there a way then that you get people to have a more compelling way of delivering their message? You know, some people are like really naturally charismatic and you meet them and they're like super annoying because you'll be at some party and there's somebody and they're like, oh my God, that person's so good at telling stories. I wish I could tell stories like them. They can hold court. They can sort of, you know, really dominate a room. What happens when you have somebody that wants to do that, can't get there?
1: There's a really good exercise that I would advise everybody's do it's speaking outside of your boundaries and when I say boundaries I mean your physical boundaries most people speak here they keep everything here their voice their the way they're speaking their energy everything stays here
0: for the all those in audio then just explain where you're holding so
1: it's all within their bodies it's all in front of their chest but not never do they actually spread out their arms I'm
0: doing that now in the podcast yeah so what
1: happens when you do this it's very vulnerable and what you'll start to notice is oh suddenly you've got yeah. a lot more breath
0: yeah I don't feel safe though, I must admit. Yeah.
1: Mm. It's not meant to feel safe because you're doing something that's out of the ordinary. Right. So what happens okay. when you do this and you ask people to tell a story like this they start feeling where the where the problems are. Where the if
0: I hold my hands out like this, yes. yeah, it's an unusual position to be talking in right now. I know. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you stand on one leg and put both arms out now then you're probably someone's gonna laugh at you nearby but it does make you feel different doesn't it
1: it makes you feel different but what it also does it first makes people go oh this is unsafe then they start playing with it they start moving a little bit more and you know they start really enjoying that space and what happens is they start to enjoy the space around them mm-hmm. and they start to enjoy that this is theirs and what happens when normally we have maybe like 30 centimeters around us that's our space because that's our boundary We suddenly have fifty, and then we suddenly have a meter, maybe two meters. And that's how some people can fill a whole room with their personality. And that's what charisma is. That's when people are drawn in because they want to be in your space. They want to be with you and you go without spreading your arms. You go come into my space and it's allowing yourself to enjoy that space so that other people can start enjoying your space and want to be with you in that space. And it all starts by just stretching out your arms.
0: That's a really great. I like that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that from you. (laughs) One of the best ways speakers, presentations, and people in, in video and audio make themselves attractive is that they... First of all, you know, tell a great story, but then actively listen as well and interact. Do you have advice for people to make them sort of better listeners? What do they do? What t- Tell me your secrets.
1: I once had a director for a show called, I think we did Mary Poppins. He kept saying, bless you. And I was like, what is it all about? But was a big company, so a lot of people were sneezing or, you know, something like that happened. And every time someone sneezed, he said, bless you. Even if he was in the middle of a sentence, he'd go, bless you. So he had tuned himself in a way that every time someone sneezes, doesn't matter if they're in the room or if he's on the street or wherever he is, he says, bless you. Right. And because he started training that, he'd become much more aware of his surroundings. And that is something really powerful. Because if you start doing that, even though you're in a maybe a stressful situation or, bit of a scary situation or an anxious situation you are still tuned into what's going on outside so you're not just in your head going oh my god what's going on you're also going oh that person sneeze bless you and it takes you out because if your energy is going out and it's not in at least it's going somewhere <laughs> because if it's all in it's sort of like i said it today to someone it's like the plague because it just goes around and around and around in your head in your body and it doesn't help you need to get it out. So you need to have that outward energy so you can go, bless you if someone sneezes, but also go, hey, they're doing something or they're, they're making a face or they're they're waving or something like that so that you tune in to the people around you.
0: That's interesting for people that have to run live events, audio live events and online live events. I've been uh, lucky to participate in outside broadcasts and there is a real skill to those people that can manipulate a crowd. Do you coach coping mechanisms, for instance, when things don't go right or ways that you can stall for time? What's the ways that you you discuss with your clients?
1: Stalling for time is easy, just speak slower. <laughs> um, in terms of when things go wrong, so this is an interesting one. I don't believe that things ever go wrong. Sometimes you might forget something in You might say something that wasn't what you were meant to say, but there's two things to remember there. They don't know what you were gonna say or what you were gonna do or how long it was gonna take. So don't worry about this. And number two, if something does go wrong, just say that it went wrong and just admit it because if you admit it for yourself and if you admit it for your audience the only thing that will happen is that they will want you to do better even more they're always rooting for you your audience is always rooting for you and people need to keep that in mind they're not there to eat you they're there to because they want to learn from you they want to hear from you or they want to just be around you so if you make a mistake and you have to go i'm sorry guys i've got a bit of a blackout i'm going to check my notes and i'll be back Nine times out of ten, you get a standing ovation because you're showing your humanity.
0: That vulnerability, I think, is quite important. I've seen some very successful recoveries from people doing their online events. I wondered, what are the things, the pitfalls, though, that people sometimes come up against, and that isn't just on live events, but it's all uh, productions, audio and visual, is timing. What do you think is the best way of um, helping people keep a track on timing? Is brevity best or what's your thoughts?
1: Keeping track of timing is one of the hardest things. I always say, if you can have someone there who tells you when you're five minutes away from time, make sure that person is there. It's very helpful. But what I do is I create this thing with all of my clients. Instead of a talk track, right? People have a script. I create a thought track so we go from thought to thought to thought and that thought is always the same but the way you're explaining it might be a little bit different every time and what happens when you create a thought track that will always follow the same number of events it'll always follow the same way of going where you need to go so your timing will always be roughly the same but if you have a talk track often we forget words and you start babbling and we start adding in a lot of fluff that doesn't happen when you get a thought track because then you just go from thought to thought to thought otherwise it's sentence 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 oh i don't know what i was going to say i'm just going to talk 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 oh i'm back on track and that's when we start elongating our speech and where it starts taking way too long
0: when people are presenting themselves on camera and they're standing or they're sitting what's the advice that you give to give people that so i've got a thing about diaphragm so i prefer people to be interviewed standing up because they get nice big full breaths and when people are nervous, they've got a tendency to like suddenly go really fast and everything's going to come out really fast. So I get people to let it all out and then I'll ask them again, what's your way of getting people to correctly enunciate and speak through their presentations?
1: If they're sitting down, I ask people to sit at the edge of their seats. Because what happens when you sit at the edge of your seat and you have your legs in the correct position, not only is it good for your posture, it also engages every part of your body. Because... You need to make sure you don't fall off that chair. so your legs are slightly engaged your core is slightly engaged your back is slightly engaged and it means that body is turned on and when that body is turned on we can work with it because otherwise if i'm just sitting here and i'm sort of making myself quite small and i've got my arms crossed over or something like that or my legs crossed over all that it's again it's that energy game it all just stay in and my breathing can't go anywhere and it just all gets inside and goes faster and faster and faster until it explodes Right? And until we start making mistakes. And that's not what we want. So if you sit open and you sit at the edge of your seat, I mean, I can see you doing it right now. and <laughs> it really helps you to go, oh, okay. If I now feel myself speeding up because my breathing might be a bit out of place because of the nerves, I can now start to control that. Because I can feel my body. If I'm sitting like this, that's never going to happen. And I've ruined it for myself. So you need to be kind to yourself, right? You need to help yourself out. Same goes for when you're standing. If you're standing, make sure you're standing correctly. So your feet hip-width apart, your pelvis tucked under, your shoulders nice and behind, so that you can really feel that body a slight bend in the knee, so that everything is slightly turned on. It not only helps you stay fit, (laughs) but it helps you to feel that body, because otherwise you can't work with it. If you can't work with your body, you're working against yourself.
0: This is some, I find it very difficult listening to you because I'm in terms of I'm correcting my posture. I feel like It's highlighting the fact that I possibly don't sit that well when I'm doing my interviews. I'm going to adjust my microphone right, just to make sure that I'm on point. Here we go. Uh, final part. You've done some uh, great examples there of tips and tricks that you would encourage people to use. What is it that uh, you feel that you'll be able to add moving forward? In a growth industry where video and audio presentations are increasing, what do you think the future holds for Pascal Bergman? Will you start syndicating your tips and tricks? Is there a book in the offing?
1: Oh, a book. Well, actually, a lot of people have asked me about a book. There is a book coming out this year, but it's got nothing to do with public speaking. It's got everything to do with PTSD. So that's, that's a whole other story. No, there's no book. What I am looking into is making more videos, shorter videos, quick tips and tricks so that people can take that away because right now most of my content is written for me it's about finding that enjoyment and keeping that enjoyment so as long as i enjoy making those videos and talking to my audience in that way i will keep doing it and I might create maybe something like a mastermind, masterclass, something like that. That might be coming up. We might be working behind the scenes on a group workshop where we work on video and stage, so that people get to uh, to work on that a little bit in a group setting and really build that community of people who go, "This is scary. Let's get over it together." But I'm not officially allowed to talk about these things yet.
0: <laughs> oh well, you've heard it first on this podcast. I didn't think- <laughs> It's it's increasingly uh, becoming apparent um, from the work that I've seen of yours that you're gaining in popularity. People really um, are taken by um, the approach and the delivery you've got. I wondered, is there is there the thing, what's the one thing that you do during your presentations that um, you most regret? Is there a tick that you have? Is there a thing? What's the oh, one yeah. that makes
1: you? I have a lot of ticks. I giggle a lot. I'm a giggler. Sometimes I just giggle for no reason at all. I've worked on my filler words so much that they're no longer a problem. Um, but sometimes I talk too quickly or I don't like my accent. Obviously, I'm Dutch and I speak six languages. So it depends on the day how good my accent is. And I wish that sometimes I'm a bit more mindful when I start recording because then when I hear it back, I go, oof, that's ugly. You know, you're always your your worst critic. I literally had someone messaging me two days ago. I'm so jealous of your accent. And I was like, huh. I really hated it in that video, but thanks.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, there is a lot of English-speaking people here who are just hearing six. Like, oh my god, I can't even master one language. So, I mean, the, the inflection and the sort of personal touch is important. And there's something I've asked people in all of my interviews so far, which is about AI. Now, are you worried about the impact that uh, artificial intelligence and AI in video and presentations is going to have? I know because you encourage people to be very personal and you are very personable i mean is the sort of synthetic world a threat to people like yourself and your techniques
1: no not at all i think it's going to help our industry so much because right now sometimes i am just my brain is just so full and i can't come up with any ideas so i ask ai like what is what are some of the biggest public speaking problems and boom i've got five content ideas and i can make videos in all of them ai can't yet do presentations for us not in a way that good presenters can do it not in an engaging way that makes us feel things that can really create that emotional urgency in the messaging so i'm not worried at all that ai will take over my job and i think it'll be a very long time before it does
0: it's uh, really uh important for people to stand out from the crowd so is there a way that people can sort of have a vocal uh sort of thumbprint or is it a fingerprint i don't know how would you
1: yes a vocal fingerprint, um, I, ca- I get this question a lot. People go, what is vocal identity? And it's everything to do with how you use your voice. And it's not just articulation. It's your volume, your pacing, your timing, your pauses, your ums and ahs, right? Those damn filler words that we're also very afraid of. But it's also your pitching pattern. So a lot of people have a preferred way of speaking. And they all speak in a certain register and that's where they're comfortable. And that's that's nice and it's fine. But when you're presenting, whether that is to a group of people, whether it's to a camera, you need to do more with your voice to keep people's ears engaged, because we need to tune in to you. So instead of just speaking on that one line that you're speaking on, which is often a lot more monotone than we think, we need to start engaging more of that vocal register. And you can very easily increase that by doing exercises like a siren, where you go and you go through that and you make sure that those vocal cords start to extend more and they start to get used to using more of that vocal range and then you can introduce like pages of a book and you start speaking that in a siren as well so you go all the way down and then all the way up and then you go back all the way down and it helps you to get more of that vocal range in there that you can then start using in your presentations if you talk about something exciting speak a bit higher and you can speak with a bit of a higher inflection as well. And if you talk about something very serious, you can speak with a more downward inflection. And you can take it a bit lower. And it will help people to identify certain points in your presentation. Because if you talk about three different topics, it helps them to go, oh, we're talking about something else now. It establishes authority. And it makes it easier to listen to you. It's like a song. It's not constantly the same tone. It's you know, a melody that you create. And it's nicer for us to listen to.
0: Uh, well, at the end of the podcast, I would definitely get links to your profile, but is there going to be an opportunity for people to learn these techniques? Are you going to document these techniques somewhere at some point?
1: So I'm working on a lovely um, workshop that people can buy eventually. And it's it's got all of these things. So there'll be a chapter on vocal identity where we'll cover pitching pattern, pace, timing, filler words. We'll do a bit on body language, do a bit on video presenting we'll do a bit on stage presenting um, and that will all be in there and we're currently working on that which should be launching by summer
0: oh exciting right you heard it here first now pascal uh, everybody that's been listening to this has probably sat up straight uh, waved their arms and thought about the way their diaphragm is operating for you and your um, potential clients where can they find you on the interweb
1: the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn, which is just my name, Pascala Bergmans. And it says the fairy godmother of God, public speaking. Because <laughs> um, I believe that public speaking is has everything to do with magic. So people can find me there. And my DMs are always open for anybody wanting to know how they can work with me. I post a lot of content, a lot of videos, a lot of written stuff and pictures and whatever, so they can find me there.
0: I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview. You are a person that has gone from personal tragedy to really quite fantastic um, turnaround and I encourage everybody when you have time to go and look at Pascal's online profile. Pascal I've learned so much on this interview and I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of your videos.
1: Okay thank you so much thank you for having me.